you guys know me. I, if I had to venture to guess, I think maybe like two of y'all know me kind of okay uh, in this room right now. So I feel like it's okay for me to just like tell you a little bit about myself first. Um, this feels like a date in a way because I'm like, don't know you, you don't know me. It's like our first time together. And so I'm a little nervous. And so um, the text that we have tonight is one that I was like, Phil, why'd you do this to me? Like of all the texts in all the book, um, you had to pick Ecclesiastes. Like that's just difficult. Um, and so we're we're just going to jump right into it. I don't know any other way. Um, and that's what I did. I was like, God, until you bring me revelation, I'm just going to keep reading this thing over and over and over again. So let's go to Ecclesiastes 6. And Ray, if you have that, that'd be great because I forgot my Bible. Heathen. <laughs> okay, there's an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy upon mankind. Those to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that they lack nothing of all all that they desire, yet God does not enable them to enjoy these things, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous ill. A man may beget a hundred children and live many years, but however many are the days of his life, the days of his years, if he does not enjoy life's good things or has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes into vanity and goes into darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to one place. All human toil is for the mouth, yet the appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage have the wise over fools, and what do the poor have who know how to conduct themselves before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes, the wandering of desire. This also is vanity, a chasing after the wind. Whatever has come to be has already been named, and it is known what human beings are, and that they are not able to dispute with those who are stronger. The more words, the more vanity. So how is one better? For who knows what is good for mortals while they live a few days of their vain life, which they pass like a shadow? For who can tell them what will be after them under the sun? Do you understand why I had to read this like 200 times? <laughs> so let's just go there. Um, moving to Highland Park, I felt like I needed to do a couple of statistics, you know, figure out what kind of community I was stepping into. Uh, and one of the first things that I found out was that it's 94% white and 4% Hispanic. So we're making our way up. Just saying. 49% of the residents in Highland Park make over $200,000 a year. And that's just like kind of the minimum. That doesn't mean that people are making $200,000. It means that they're like above and beyond that. And that's actually 5% of the state of Texas. So 5% of the wealthiest people in Texas live right here in this neighborhood. The median value of homes in Highland Park is $1 million. So it only seems appropriate that when we look at texts like this that we have to recognize that this is the culture that we're in. It just is. Um, there are some who, like, totally live it up, right? Like, have y'all seen Rich Kids of Instagram? Like, surely y'all seen that? Rich Kids of Instagram, nobody? Okay, check it out when you get home, but if there's bad stuff, don't say that I did it. Um, but it's, it's basically, like, really, really, really rich kids that take pictures of all the insane things that they do, and it's just, like... I spent $400,000 last night on, like, dinner. <laughs> Things like that. It's insane. But there are people who, who kind of, like, glorify this lifestyle. 
Um, but we find that that Koheleth here is is not so much into this. He's actually confused um, because he says, and if we can go back to one and two, that'd be great. It's actually easier for me to read it off of here, if that's okay with y'all, because it's too confusing to look on the back screen. Ray, do you mind throwing up verses one and two? Thank you. No, you're fine. It says, there is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy upon humankind. Those to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that they lack nothing of all that they desire. Yet God does not enable them to enjoy these things, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity and a grievous ill. So the, the thought here that, that Kohelet is working under is, is a framework, really, that God, God is the one, thank you, um, that gives people possessions and wealth, right? I mean, he says God gave them this stuff. Uh, and this is a deutero- deuteronomic idea. Um, it comes from verses like Proverbs 13.21, um, which says, Trouble pursues the sinner but the righteous are rewarded with good, with good things, right? So that doesn't that kind of give you the sense that, like, God's the one who did this? Um, so, so in this way, like, this view that he's working with right here is like the literal understanding that God would bless you in a material way if you obey him. Have you all heard something similar like this before? Joel Osteen? I heard a Joel Osteen throw out there. Okay. I think as Americans, we tend to think, like, I work my butt off to get the things that I want, right? So this is kind of weird for us to think that, that perhaps maybe, like, it's just God throwing blessing on us. Um, but, but really, like, the words that Kohal is using is, is a word, uh, it's called kabod. And it means that this person has an honored status, like a, abundance, it's riches. And it's been given specifically by God, okay? And so Melissa called out Joel Osteen, and that's fine. If y'all want to call it any other people, that's that's fine. We're not we're, we're a small community. We're not going to tell anybody. But truly, there's this thing called the prosperity gospel that functions in the same way, um, and it's kind of like like call this one eight hundred number and we'll give you a prayer cloth, and you know like if you give this prayer cloth, then you're going to be healed or things like that. Like it's just this this understanding that if we obey God, that that God will bless us with material things, like not just like bless us in abundance and riches, um, like figuratively, but literally give us abundance and riches. So, hear me when I say this. It's dangerous to believe that God will bless you with literal material blessings when you walk in obedience to him. Um, it's hard because you think about those in third world countries, right? Has anybody been to, like, a third world country where they've gone and served in Christian community? Anybody? Just, just Robert. Um, uh, <laughs> which isn't surprising. But, but there are so many people who are hungering and thirsting for God and yet are living in these absolutely impoverished situations. I mean, if you, even if you go to San Antonio with me for a weekend and we go to the right part of town, or Dallas, let's be real, um, there are people who are genuinely, earnestly seeking God, um, but their financial situations are not the best. So already I feel all this conflict coming into this. Do y'all, do y'all feel that same tension that I feel? I'm like, I know that this is not what he's trying to say, right? This is what he's trying to say? So, so here's how I broke it down. Um, Koheleth is actually going to continue on when he says, um, but he doesn't give man or woman the, the generosity. He doesn't enable them to receive this blessing, right? Like, like, why would God give them this wealth but not the ability to enjoy it, right? Like, to really enjoy this blessing. And he says, 
even worse than that, somebody else is enjoying it. Like somebody else is enjoying the blessings that this person has. So um, I'm just going to pick on Melissa since she's right there. But like, what, what would it be like if Melissa was singing for us? And we're like, oh, her voice is so beautiful and her piano skills, it's just the best. Um, but she didn't enjoy it. She was miserable. Like, we're, we're benefiting from it, right? Like, we get a gift. Like, we get to receive her gift and just, like, totally, like, oh, she just sounds like an angel. Um, but, but if she doesn't enjoy it, I know, oh, I'll stop. But if she doesn't enjoy it, what's the point? Like, really, what's the point? If, if... So, so here's the issue. Here's what I think Rahal is doing. He's actually questioning the thinking by saying, well, even if you have all this wealth that comes from obeying God, why are you still unhappy? And worse than that, wouldn't obedience bring you joy? Like, wouldn't obedience to God bring you absolute joy when you realize that he was actually, like, not even blessing you because you were being necessarily obedient, but just because you loved being obedient? Um, and so I really don't think that I'm not going to work under that framework, and I don't think that's what framework he was working under either. So some of the issues that we're confronting are about this, and, and here's the main reason why I think that, that it's okay um, that he's saying, why don't you enjoy these things? And I think it's because God gave us free will. Um, and, and because God gave us free will, we're able to function in such a way that even if we do have money, even if we do have abundance, even if we have riches, like we're still in a place where we can choose what we want to do with that and how we want to accept that. So, again, if I'm, if I'm singing up here and y'all are loving it but I'm hating it, like what's the point? Why, why even have that gift? Do you know what I mean? And y'all can think about it in your own lives. Like, what are things that you... I mean, I have lots of students even who... Um, one plays basketball, right? She's great. She's super aggressive. She scares all the kids on the other team. Um, but she went to her parents this week and said, I'm not enjoying this at all. Like, I get nothing out of this. Um, and not only that, but I'm like the mean girl on the team. So I don't want to be that, you know? And so th- think about it. Like, these are just... These are real issues that actually do happen with us. Um, let's continue on to Ecclesiastes 6, 3 through 4. It says, A man may beget a hundred children and live many years, but however many are the days of his years, if he does not enjoy life's good things or has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. It's pretty, pretty bad. For it comes into vanity and goes into darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. So the, our author is using hyperbole, which is a rhetorical vice, device that it's really, um, it uses gross exaggerations to make a point. Um, if anybody here is having a hundred children, that's a medical miracle, right? Like, he's not serious. Like, this guy is not producing a hundred children. But he's saying, just imagine, like, and, and children, childbearing was something that was, was valued. I mean, really, like, if you could pop out a hundred kids, man, like, you were, you were doing well for yourself. Like, that's a good thing. Um, and, and he's saying, even if you had a super long life, right, you got to enjoy all these little babies around you, and they grew up and took care of you. But, but you have all these awesome things, and you've got this long life, but you still don't even enjoy it. Like, there's nothing about your life that you enjoy. And the, the notion of, of receiving a proper burial was huge. I mean, and just think, if you're, if you're a person who's had a hundred kids, and you're on your deathbed, and you're about to die, and you don't even have a proper burial, it's because those hundred kids weren't taking care of you, right? So, so this is just like a huge smack in the face. He's saying, look, you, you may have it all, including money, riches, babies, uh, long life, 
but you're still not happy. Like, what is this in us that we're still just not satisfied? And the fact that he says a stillbirth is better than being a fruitful parent with long life is pretty dramatic. I mean, that's really just like, let's hit it hard. You want, you want to know what this is really like? I'd rather you have never been born, right? It's like, mama just killed a man, put a gun against its head. Mama, ooh, I don't want to die. Sometimes I wish I'd never been born at all. Like, that's this person right here. Like, they're just saying, gosh, I'd be better off never being born. Like, that's just how torturous this is. I'm not happy with my life. So what, what, what I'm talking about here sounds like really dramatic, right? And you probably got this fictitious person in your head. But I'm actually thinking of people in this church, like this congregation, like people who have tons of money, and they've got children who are getting straight A's, and they are dancing their little tushes off, trying to make it to dance team, and they're doing all these things, like they should be proud, and yet they're still unhappy. It's like this desire that just can't be fulfilled, and, and it's so real, like it's so real here, and it's not just here, it's everywhere. So here's the thing, material things can be a filler, they're a filler for our lives, and for a time, they may even bring us like pleasure, we may be like, wow, this is really fun, I love being rich. But the truth of it is, is it's not going to do anything. So five through six, let's continue. Moreover, it, being the stillborn child, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he, the person. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to one place. Again, he's saying a thousand years on this earth, Really, a thousand years. That sounds kind of cool, right? Isn't everybody trying to live forever? Um, but even if you're living a thousand years and you're still not happy, it's more like hell than anything else. If you're not enjoying your life and you're here for a thousand years and you're like, just put me down, you know? That's, that's what this is like. I mean, it's better to just have never been born at all. Like, and again, this is more hyperbole that he's using. I mean, obviously, I think in one translation it said 2,000 years. So, like, clearly we're not living that long, but he's saying, look, this is not, this is desire to like have things that you think you want, like long life, aren't going to be fulfilled if you're still unhappy while you're living. And it really is less about the quantifiable amount of time and more about the quality of the time that you're spending here on earth. It's about what you're doing. Continue on to Ecclesiastes 6 7. All human toil is for the mouth, and yet the appetite is not satisfied. Again, same thing. I feel like we, we work and we work and we work and, and we're working so that we can live and have things. And yet, like, once we get one thing, we've got to have the next. Like, once we have that thing, then we have the next. And I don't know about you guys, but, like, I really love food. Like, I love eating. And, and sometimes I eat something and it's just, like, it just wasn't what I wanted. Like, it wasn't filling my appetite the way that I wanted it to. And so I'm, like got to try the next thing and like go get a bacon cheeseburger and like a milkshake which I'm lactose intolerant so I shouldn't be eating and like all these things that I'm like oh maybe this will fill me like maybe this will like fill my hunger and it has nothing to do with the, the physical hunger it has everything to do with the appetite like what's happening in me and it still doesn't get filled so this is pretty straightforward I mean we work and we work and we work for, for money for the things that we want and yet it's still not filling us let's move on to eight for what advantage have the wise over fools, and what do the poor have who know how to conduct themselves before the living? So Kahalath is, is 
pointing out, first of all, that both the wise and the fool stand at one moment in the same place. And where is that? Death. Like, both the wise person and the fool are going to die someday. Like, that's just the reality. And we're all going to be there, and we're all going to be in the ground, and so it doesn't matter how wise you are or how foolish you are, we're going to be together. So these questions run parallel in such a way that we see the wise and the poor getting put, the wise and the fool getting put on the same level. They're equal. And then the poor. The poor may not always have material possessions, but they know how to live under different circumstances, probably sometimes better than rich people do. So more than all of this, think about it. Whether you're wise, whether you're foolish, you want to be filled with things, right? But the only difference is how you deal with these hungers. There's no satisfaction either for the poor person, even if he does know how to live, or for the wise person, even though he does know how to live. Let's go to nine. Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of desire. This also is vanity and a chasing of the wind. So the sight of the eyes is not speaking literally of somebody's eyesight. Um, It's rather of the things beyond us which we look at, and in particular, the wealth and possessions we gather. So it's kind of like the things that we already have. Like, what what do I have today right now in my possession? I have a house. I have clothes. I have way too many clothes. Um, I've got a lot of things, and they're, they're here. They're in my sight right now. And... What's different is the, the desires, right? And he's saying these desires, they're like chasing after the wind. Like, like what's the point? You have what you have right now. Be content. Like that's essentially what he's saying. He's saying true satisfaction doesn't come from these things, doesn't come from, from these material things. Like you should really just be happy with what you have now instead of chasing after desires, wandering desires that you have. I mean, I'm never going to live. I shouldn't say never. I'm probably never going to live in a house here in Highland Park, right? Like, I live, I live in a piece of crap, and, and I love it. It's my, my piece of crap, you know? Like, it's great. But, but for me to, like, sit in my piece of crap and be like, I just wish I had a house in Highland Park. Like, that's all I want. Like, that's, that's what he's talking about. You're just dwelling on all the things you don't have instead of really loving and cherishing the things that you do have. So um, Jesus kind of addresses this in, in Luke um, 12, 13, 21. And we find a person in a crowd asking him a question. And this is actually really normal. It's like normal for, I guess, rabbis to try to settle disputes. Uh, And so this man comes to him and says this. So someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to them, Friend, who set me to be a judge or an arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For one's life does not consist in abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And then he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves but are not rich towards God. And for me, this just all ties together. I'm like, Jesus took a totally, like, he he didn't even address the question, okay? He didn't settle the dispute. He was like, hey, while we're on the subject, can I just tell you for a second that, like, chasing after these things, 
it's just not that great. In fact, if you're storing up treasures here, you're just going to end up like leaving them on earth. It's that simple. And so he takes this opportunity to focus on a higher issue, higher than family inheritance, higher than, than stuff. He says, your relationship with God is actually what's most important in all of this. Like it just is. That's what you're going to be left with on the day that you die. Let's finish with Ecclesiastes 10 through 12. Whatever has come to be has already been named, and it is known what human beings are and that they are not able to dispute with those who are stronger. The more words, the more vanity. So how is the one better? For who knows what is good for mortals while they live the few days of their lives and the few days of their vain life, which they pass like a shadow? For who can tell them what will be after the sun? Um, I read this about a hundred times over and over again. I'm not even joking about that. Um, And I I kept trying to understand what is he trying to say? Like, what is he really trying to communicate? Um, And I read this in one of the books that was. that we were studying, and it says the verse itself here, it merely states that human potential works within very clear limitations. The purpose of the saying is to remind the reader that we are limited. We are limited in our understanding. So, of course, it's hard to get this. Like, what, what is he trying to say? It's like you can tell that, that the teacher was also not sure of what he was trying to say. He was confused. He was, like, working through it. But, but here's the truth of it. Like, we did not create this world. And we do our best to make sense of it, but ultimately we're left with just like this attempt to, to figure it out, like this desire to know and, and this desire to, to satisfy our lives with just anything and everything. Um, but most often it's not God, right? So here's where I jump to the end of the book. <laughs> Bill's going to be mad. Um, but God's the only one who can satisfy us, like really and truly. And, and that's why... I think he was so just torn right here. He felt like, man, all this material stuff, nobody can enjoy their life. It's because they're not enjoying God. Like, that's why this, isn't, this enjoyment that's in material things, it's not going to be fulfilling. It's just not. However, enjoyment in God, that comes to the fullest. It really does. And so it may seem obvious, right? This may seem obvious to some of us, but, but I look at my youth every week, and I see that they have pretty much everything they could possibly want and yet they're still unhappy. They still don't get it, and it's because many of us and many of them look to other things to satisfy us. So it's really interesting to me, like how real things get when you're reading texts like this. Because um, my uncle passed away just last week. He was 79 years old, and he had Alzheimer's, and I went to the funeral, and it was just tough. I mean, I was just sitting through this kind of like, we were remembering him, and, and in the midst of it, I felt like, Gosh, I can actually hear these words. Like, like just life's just a shadow. Like, it's just a passing. It's so fleeting. Like, we don't even know. And and the entire time, people were emotional, and I was emotional, and, and we were trying to get through it. But I kept reading these words. It was a Catholic funeral, um, which usually for me are kind of dry, and I, I don't really get like a whole lot of connection with it. But there's a quote on the Catholic rite that we were reading from, and it said, "Dying, he destroyed our death, and rising, he restored." our life. I just kept reading it over and over again, and I just thought, how much hope is in this statement? Like, like yes, there's death, but there's also life. Like, God gives us life, and we have this life today to be restored, to be just renewed in God, and it's up to us to enjoy that life, like, every day, even on the crappy days, even on the days when your boss is getting on your nerves. Like, no matter what, 
like God has given us this time here on earth, and we should just cherish it above, you know, anything, above material things. We should just cherish the fact that God came down on earth for us. Like, that's the incredible part. We may be just totally limited in our understanding about our lives and about what we're even meant to do here on earth. But I really believe that Jesus changed everything for us. Everything. He spoke specifically about wealth. Because it's not just about getting our questions answered, right? It wasn't about that guy getting his question answered. It's about recognizing that, yes, we're humans, and yes, we're like kind of limited in our knowledge, but ultimately we are desperately loved by a father, and we are desperately loved because he brought down his son to earth to save us. And so that's the hope that I found in this text. I hope that that can bless you guys. Let's pray. God, we just thank you so much for um, these difficult texts, Lord, that just challenge us, that challenge our thinking, um, that just give us hope in a strange way, Lord, that you, God, are the one who can just truly fill us. Um, we just ask right now that, that our hearts can be made right with you, that in any area that we're struggling with, that you would just give us the strength um, to get through it. And Father, we just pray that every day of our lives we can just um, enjoy ourselves, Lord, be content to, to just be alive, Lord, that we would cherish it and that we would cherish the people around us. Um, that we would lift those up, Lord, who, who need lifting. And that we would just continue to seek you in everything that we do. We love you so much and thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.